Hello and welcome to season three of the Melrose Place cast. I'm Mary. I can't believe we're still doing this. Oh my gosh, I'm Teej. And what what could possibly stop us, Mary? I don't know at this point. I honestly don't know. And I wonder sometimes. Season three, wow, it is really kicking it up a notch. Mary, we are cooking with grease this season. We are firing on all cylinders. Oh my God. And speaking of fire, I don't know about you, but I think there may be some explosive plot twists coming our way. (laughs) Did you say explosive? Yeah, are we this getting... place about to blow. Are we going to get sued? <laughs> Have the money. Please don't sue us. They can take all the royalties. We don't make any money. Because you know what? There's no real There's no real sponsors. But each week, we're going to have a couple fake ones. We sure will. And you're going to learn all about them coming up now on the Melrose Placecast. Hello and welcome to the Veros Placecast. Today we are talking about season three, episode fifteen, called "Holiday on Ice," which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm Mary, uh, and I'm Teej. Mary, this is the halfway point of the season. Is it? It is. There's only thirty episodes this season, and only to, <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate uh, this monumental moment, uh, we are here with an expert guest. <gasps> what? You would not believe it, Mary. I thought, who can we bring in, right? We need, we need someone who just really can help dig into the content. And I know we have, we're pretty sure Kamala Harris is a listener. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we also have uh, those miserable people that email me that it was not Kelly Kapowski. I mean, technically they were right, but sure. Uh-huh. Would you have Christopher and Nan? Yes, yes. But but I felt like, Mary, what we really need is just a good... I, I was like, who is the best expert I can think of on all things millennial? And Mary, I got him. Got him. I'm oh. saying them, not him. Okay. So uh, with all that, our expert millennial guest, go ahead and introduce yourself. yourself. That's me. Hello. <laughs> oh, it is our good sis, Kayla, who used to work with us up in that little town, Mary. Yes, it is, Kayla. How are you both? I'm great. How are you? I am over the moon. I'm so excited. One could say I'm holiday on ice excitement. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's pretty excited. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. It is super excited. I This episode was wild. Um, Kayla, have you ever watched Melrose Place before? I have not, actually. So I have so many questions. I'm so excited. I did research on, like, the year that this came out to make sure that I was right in my kind of commentary and my points. So, man, this is a good one. Well, welcome. tolerating this. <laughs> of course. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. This, this, so, okay, Kayla, do you think you will watch this series now? There's about 200 episodes. I have to. There's no, I have to. I ha- I'm now so committed. One, because it's on my Paramount Plus, so it's going to show up until I watch it all. Mm-hmm, but two, mm-hmm. because now I'm so invested. I, I can't, so many questions. I'm excited to get into it with you both. I, I just, I will give you this advice. Contrary to what everybody else would tell you about every other series, don't start at the beginning. It's so bad. 
No, I understand that. That's that's my same suggestion with The Office, which is hands down the greatest show of my generation. So I tell mm-hmm. everyone to just skip through season one and get right yeah. into season two. So I understand. I'll yeah. start wherever you two suggest. One of the first episodes of this series is a credit card. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> should we, can we get started? I have an expert or an awesome example of why this show is high art for the generations oh please please okay uh so kayla you don't know this but i usually i lead in with a quote and then i explain what happened and why i think it's high art for the generations are you ready oh my gosh i also have some quotes so i'm so excited let's go okay this quote high art for the generations the man signed me into a mental institution oh my god (laughs) Of course, said by Sydney, uh, who <clears throat> came to her sister Jane's apartment. So, Kayla, those are sisters. Mm-hmm. And backstory, uh, Sydney was the wild child. Um, she kind of bounced around between many, many colleges. She kept dropping out. And then she moved to L.A. to be like her big sister, who was married to Dr. Michael Mancini. Um, Michael Mancini was cheating on Jane, so they got divorced. And then K- Sydney schemed to marry Michael herself which she did she blackmailed him he attempted to murder her but then they decided to just be happy in love until michael's dead ex-fiance came back from the dead oh my gosh so sydney fell into prostitution as you do in la naturally Um, yep she got out of last christmas actually she went to horse giving as mary called it horse giving with the prostitutes but by the christmas episode she was having her macaulay culkin moment in the church with the choir (laughs) and so since yeah so since since then jane has got a new boyfriend uh chris who sells bow ties at jc penny um but he's still half a million dollars from jane who's a fashion designer um kidnapped sydney took her to las vegas as a hostage uh where she was rescued by her boyfriend uh when he came in she was she had just finished getting a massage and was signing for an outrageous room service bill uh suggesting maybe she wasn't so much of a hostage does that about catch us up mary I think it's more than anyone needs to know. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. But the mental institution, of course. Uh, how did we miss that? Yeah. Um, so Michael after, Michael, after he divorced both Jane and then Sydney because his girlfriend was back from the dead after he killed her, uh, he got run down by a car by someone wearing a blonde wig, which was his ex-girlfriend who came back from the dead. But she set up Sydney. So Sydney went to jail uh, and then she signed a confession to get only a reduced sentence. But her dad and Jane signed her into a mental institution uh, as part of her punishment so that she would get treated. So that's why she said the man signed me into a mental institution. And that about catches us up. That was only slightly shorter than actually just watching the whole thing. I'm telling you, watch the show. <laughs> but the reason this was high art for the generations, I think I haven't quite gotten to that point. Uh <laughs> Jane is trying to convince Sydney to go home to Chicago, where they're from, uh, for Christmas. Jane, Sydney says, no, that man, her father, signed, him into a mental, signed her into a mental institution. But as is true in real life, we say it in Chicago, we say it everywhere. Christmas, it just brings families together, even the Sydney Andrews sisters. Mm-hmm. And I thought they did such a great job showing Sydney melt at uh, wanting to reunite with her parents. And she did. Wow. Um, 
I wrote that this was the most shoehorned plot line in the whole show. I surprisingly lasts all of like two minutes. Um, the high point is her learning about the dog having puppies. Yes. Um, which made me wonder where's Puddle again. Um, but uh, this was like a Matt plot line, gay Matt. Um, mm-hmm. In that it's like, well, we have to put them in the show this week, so let's figure out something that lasts less than two minutes. Okay. Caleb, what did you think? Was this high arts? Um, so I think I love the fact that both of your points were the same, but polar opposites, because I had this as also a pretty bad trashy moment. Um, oh, no. I know. I'm so, well, now that I know the backstory, oh my gosh. But at the same time, it was so quick. I was trying to follow along in all these other storylines and then all of a sudden she's melting in the chair because she learns about the dogs with some mm-hmm. bad some bad backup music. I'm like, what what is this? Get out of here. I'm trying to figure out what's happening to the baby. Forget you. <laughs> oh, the baby. But they also, I mean, this was the Christmas episode. So you gotta just like you gotta do something. Someone has to go home to your family or else it's not even a Christmas episode. So I I got it, but also, I don't know. I wanted something more. Okay. Sounds like I'm taking the L on this one. I know. I got some good fine art moments, though. I'll get your, <laughs> I'll get it back. I promise. All right, Mary, you're up next. Did you find any other examples of trash this episode? Somehow I managed. Uh, I called oh. the one, who authorized this festive little Christmas brunch? Uh, I'll try not to go too far into this so Amanda has quite the week Amanda has a uh, Ebenezer Scrooge storyline that starts with her walking into work and she's mad because there is a Christmas party happening she says who authorized this festive little holiday brunch Christmas brunch Billy's like it's a potluck it's to boost morale she says the morale booster is that we all set jobs (laughs) this sounds like somewhere to work anyway uh, Same. Yeah, I think I've been there. <laughs> I think we've all been to that potluck. I think yeah, to that potluck. Shut down. Um, so he he reminds her she's supposed to go see Allison at rehab, and she's like, uh, <laughs> "You make it sound like I'm supposed to be flattered that Allison picked me as the worst of her problems," which was a funny line. Uh, she goes in her office, and there's a lady waiting, and it turns out to be Bruce's sister. She is mm-hmm. there to get money for Bruce's kids to pay for college. Amanda is not particularly warm and fuzzy. I'm so surprised. Uh, she's like, well, you know, he spent a lot of money out of the corporate accounts fighting his divorce and the takeover. He'll never repay them because he's dead. <laughs> like, well. It, no. it was it was Donna Teller that had to say, because he's dead. <laughs> Poor Donna. Uh, she's like, so Donna, she just wishes her this stiff little Merry Christmas when she leaves. And Amanda rolls her eyes. Uh, later, we see Amanda at rehab at what she would call Camp Happy Talk, 12000 a month of psychobabble. Uh, Allison's like, why did you bother coming? And Amanda's like, I'm sorry, you're sequestered at Pity V Pines. Don't plan to <laughs> come back. Uh, so that's a fun little visit that they have. So later, she's asleep. She's not feeling well, and lightning crashes dramatically. She wishes to halt. That was really, really dramatic lightning. Wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. Uh, there's a bright light and a fog machine is kicking in and there's a shadowy figure in the door frame and it says, hello, Amanda, my, my, you're not looking well at all. And it's Bruce and he's just like Steve Jobs. He's in a black turtleneck. He looks cool. Well, yeah, he had to be wearing a turtleneck, Mary. Well, I, I, you're fair enough. Uh, Amanda's like, why are you here? Which is a weird thing to ask a vision or ghost, I guess. And she's like, uh, you didn't give my sister any money. 
<laughs> and she goes back, well, you were the father. You should have made sure they were taken care of before you hung yourself. Like, Amanda, just, uh, she is not really all into this. Um, he's like, well, you, you know, he's like, you don't have an excuse for not helping my kids. He says, you know, I never would have killed myself if you hadn't pushed me out of D&D. So, like, mm-hmm. he's not holding mm-hmm. Uh, she's, he says, she's like, it's not my fault. And he says, really, if you weren't guilty, I wouldn't be here. Uh, she says, it's all a fever dream. And then he makes her look at the rope burn and tells her, touch it, Amanda, feel what you've done to me, which sounds pretty. Uh, just, yeah, did they, did they need this ghost to have the rope burn? I feel like they had a little extra in the makeup budget this week. So why not? You know? Yeah. I oh, mean, they certainly gosh. were not using it on the set, so it had to go somewhere. <laughs> Oh, God. So the next day, Amanda's still homesick on her couch. Uh, Peter shows up, and he asks what's wrong, and she says, you're a doctor. You figure it out. <laughs> She's sick, but she still got it. Uh, he has a trip that they're supposed to leave for in an hour, and she's like, we're barely talking, and I'm not taking a trip with you right now. He's afraid of losing her, and he says, raiding corporations isn't very relaxing or romantic. He's not wrong. Uh, he gives her a Christmas gift slash peace offering. It is a giant fur coat uh and he makes her try it on even though she's sick uh later she is asleep again she wakes up again there's more dramatic lightning and here he comes with his fog machine and his steve jobs costume he's posed like captain morgan where he's got his knee up (laughs) it really made me laugh and he's petting the fur coat (laughs) he says it's a god-awful gift from peter for a doctor he has very little regard for life uh, he tells her she's got to put it on because they're going on another vision and they go off into her memories and she's a little girl and it's Christmas and daddy comes in oh daddy her most favorite and daddy has to leave with he's got a strumpet and he's got to go okay like, Mary do you think we should explain daddy and Amanda I don't know if we should <laughs> I don't know if we have enough hours for the day <laughs> oh I feel like their relationship should be a whole like sub episode for the two of you because that the right away with the individual that was in the background I had so many questions I was like all right daddy banks what are we up to well so daddy was married to mommy mm-hmm. uh, mommy is a high-powered executive of a modeling agency models incorporated and she showed up with a fiance Chaz who slept with Amanda and then he sued Amanda for sexual harassment. Well, he didn't really <gasps> sleep with Amanda. He just what? And okay, so you're taking you're taking her side. Fine. And then, <laughs> well, they're both wrong, but <laughs> uh, but dad. So daddy raised Amanda because mommy left when Amanda was twelve because of daddy was always cheating with these these younger women. Trumpet. But before daddy showed up, anytime no after daddy showed up, anytime Amanda and her boyfriend Jake, the hunky sexist guy would talk about daddy, they would end up having sex within a minute. Like, <laughs> like clock work. Um, but of course, daddy's no longer with us because he stole half a million dollars from Amanda. And then daddy's new girlfriend, Kathy Ireland, shot him in the chest and then blew up the boat. <gasps> Not the boat. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the pretty lady. The pretty lady. <laughs> Uh, they're sometimes the worst. <laughs> <laughs> okay, continue. That's the update on daddy. The update on daddy. Uh, so yeah, so she's a little girl. Daddy leaves. Little Amanda cries. Big Amanda tries to comfort her. Uh, she wakes up again in her bed and she's frustrated. <laughs> then she goes to sleep again because she's still sick. Again with the lightning. Bruce is posed like a senior picture where he's got his hand cradling his chin. And he's at the end of the couch and she's like, oh my God. And it's <laughs> really funny um 
he says tonight's special and so off they go again into another well-lit fog machine door and this time they're at a cemetery at night and there's a minister inexplicably giving a funeral service in at the night, night. in at the night. middle of the night the middle let, of the night let me tell you the funeral i'm not going to <laughs> yes it's at night no no, no ma'am no i'm super busy that day i can't attend no way <laughs> Amanda points out it's a beautiful casket. Bruce is like, well, you should like it. You picked it out. They're at her funeral because Peter has probably had her murdered. He said it was a skiing accident and uh, he's off with his mistress. That's why he's not at the funeral. Amanda's like, well, where are my friends? Why aren't they at my funeral? And Bruce is like, you don't have any friends. (laughs) And it's a nighttime funeral. (laughs) It's a nighttime funeral. Maybe they got a discount. I don't know. Uh, Bruce is like, it doesn't have to end this way. You can still change things. And he's like, Peter made you do certain things. You know, even a strong woman like you can fall prey to your dark side. But she has another side, a good side. And if she doesn't change things, Peter's going to drag her down just like he did Bruce. You must get rid of him. Amanda's like, get rid of him. created this monster. And uh, Bruce is like, yeah, you can. He's already taught you everything you know to get rid of him. You've got everything you need. You must destroy Peter before he destroys you. The coffin is lowered in the ground. She wakes up. But the sun is rising and she goes to the window and it's very symbolic. Um, The next morning we see Ebenezer Amanda making changes in her life. Uh, She goes to Donna's house and she gives them money to go to college, which is fine. And then she goes to rehab to see Allison and she's not a jerk for a minute. And she's like, I've been blaming you for a lot of stuff. And you, you know what? When you come back to work, that's great. You have a job. Don't worry about it. And... Then Amanda goes on a little too far and she says, in a way, I envy you four weeks here and you're on your way to recovery. I wish it was a rehab program for my personal demons. <laughs> okay. Uh, I wish you'd tell the I mean, this whole storyline, like, you could take out all the other stuff and just stick with the Bruce scenes, which are magnificent and ridiculous. I love that that actor got a swan song here because he looked like he was having a goddamn blast <laughs> So many good lines. He got to wear that stupid outfit and have that cool neck makeup with his neck burn. Oh my and, like, gosh. The most soap opera part of this whole thing is that by next week, she will have completely forgotten all of these life lessons back to being a bitch. <laughs> Kayla, what'd you think of the uh, Christmas Carol episode with Amanda Woodward? I have so many, I have so many points. Oh my gosh. Because you're right. That storyline was honestly wild. So I... Now I got to get my notes all out. I'm excited. (laughs) So I think, I think during that time period, everyone was doing Scrooge. So like the moment the flashes started, I'm like, oh, okay, this is a Scrooge episode. I'm ready for some flashbacks. Let's go. The line that I picked out and which was going to be like my all time favorite quote was you must destroy Peter before he destroys you. So when you said that, (laughs) yes, what a line. I'm like, okay, we got an attitude. (laughs) <laughs> but you're ready, but you're going to come back swinging because this is your sub, like your subconscious talking to you. It is time to destroy him. So I, I thought that was wild. I thought there were some moments that were really well done, right? Like the whole idea of going into dreams, it's your mind telling you something. So you think about it from like a therapeutic approach and you're like, wow, look at this fantastic fine art piece like we're talking about our feelings through dreams loved it Mm -hmm. but then she comes back and it's like i wish that there was what was the line that you just said i wish there was something to come back my demons i'm like girl go to therapy everyone's doing it (laughs) like 
join the club. Therapy is cool in 2022. Like you should get on that. So I just I was thinking about how I'm excited to see her in the next episode if she does remember. But in my mind, I'm like, this is a soap opera. Everybody forgets everything after one episode because she came in real hot, not being friendly. So I don't know. I did think that her acting, however, was great. Like the moment she walked in Mm -hmm. in that first scene, I was like, I don't like you at all. I don't know why, but I don't like you. But then at the end, when she's talking to Bruce's sister, like her demeanor was just so at peace. I'm like, okay, we're really channeling our feelings in this acting. So I don't know. I thought she did a great job portraying a storyline that everyone did. So I'm going to count it as a good one. Uh, Heather Locklear is objectively great. Uh, Mary, I will give you just, I'm going to give you only so much uh, of a concession here of a a little trashy piece that I did pick up in the Christmas Carol storyline. Oh, okay. Which was, no, Peter, you do not have a plane leaving in one hour and you're in Los Angeles right now, not packed. No. (laughs) And Jeffrey and Matt had that too. Your plane leaves in an hour. Girl, you are in LA. You can't just stroll on in. Okay. So yeah, that was like you're not going to get there. You're not going to get there. Yeah. But I'm sorry. Dickens is high art for the generations. Oh boy. And this is this is this is just the Melrose Place Dickens. That that was Dickens, right? Yeah. Mary, you're the, you're the, okay, thank you. Mary's an English major, so I'm surprised, <laughs> Mary, to hear you trashing some of the great literary art of our time of Christmas Carol and Scrooge McDuck and all of that. Um so <laughs> <laughs> was it the, was it the different Scrooge? Whatever, whatever. Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> and and just a, a little bit of high art for the generations, also tucked in there. Amanda Woodward came to Donatella's home. Well, by the way, her name clearly was chosen to sound like Donatella Versace. But... Or the Ninja Turtle Donatello. <laughs> That's more like it. <laughs> both work. Both work. <laughs> so she goes to Donatello's house, expecting pizza and uh, nunchucks. And so we've got clearly a family of memes, right? Oh, yeah. That's okay. quite actually living in. Like. All right. So this is a family that's like, oh, if only the government would give us a grant, we could go to college. <laughs> yeah, that part blew my mind. <laughs> just, and they're they're going to good schools like Stanford, and they're just sitting there struggling. Get yeah. over it. Yeah, not no sympathy from me. All right, none. Now uh, I'm next up with a high art for the generations point, but I would like to seed my. I, I yield uh, to our millennial experts, Kayla. Oh man, I got some. I think one of the. So I'm actually talking about a specific scene within the Scrooge thing that I thought was just, I know, was shot very well. I actually think the Christmas montage was perfect. I loved it so much because it was the exact same Christmas montage in every single show in 1994 (laughs) that I was, you know, it's a Christmas episode because it's right away. I thought the Christmas party was perfect. The whole idea of a potluck. Personally, I probably would have brought something else as a millennial, some avocado toast coming in hot. (laughs) However, the, it was it was the definite like that was a nineties party. If I were to throw one right now, that's is what that's exactly what I would want it to look like. But then you also put it in 
with the um, the community center. So when they were bringing in all of those, um, like the boxes of stuff and they're like, well, you, you doubled it. And he goes, yeah, well, it was the people at the hospital, that actual scene, like everything around it was also perfectly done. That floor is the same floor in every community, <laughs> community center that still exists. Like that hasn't changed in 30 years. Or maybe 40 like that's still the same so I thought those details made this so accurate and anybody could watch it and instantly know what was going on I I thought that those those two scenes that are not with people were just incredible or not not with people they had people but the background I thought was yeah. perfect and made it exactly the way that it should exactly how it should listen yeah that's great and I'm hoping since you're here, you can bring some millennial sensibility to me and Mary and settle a potluck debate we've been having for a while. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> so you may know who I'll be referring to, but I won't say it on the recording. Sure. At a potluck at someone else's home, is it ever okay to bring soup? <laughs> qualifiers, qualifiers. <laughs> it, is, it is a fish soup. That's qualifier number one. Two. Oh, uh, no. They did not tell anyone they were bringing soup. And they did not bring bowls or spoons. Also, <laughs> about 80 people at this event. <laughs> Kayla, I think you were at the event. This is an absolute hands down no. That is <laughs> No. Okay. For literally so many reasons. That they is just... Like, why would you want to be talked about for years later doing that? Like, no, make, honestly, bring oranges. That's a better option than fish soup. Okay, I'm going to disagree on the oranges. But listen, <laughs> they these people uh, believe that everybody loves them for their soup. But... They're lying to them. <laughs> you shouldn't trust the people around you. Do you remember that potluck we would have at my house every November, the rainbow dinner? Yes. That's what this is. And they brought fish soup. <laughs> People oh. didn't know what it was. There were no bowls. So they were just putting them on mashed potatoes. They thought it was gravy. Honestly, I feel like that would taste pretty good. <laughs> I would actually be okay with some fish soup on top of tomato mashed potatoes. Okay. But as a singular thing, a potluck is a plate meal. Everything yeah. needs to go on a plate. Preferably hand food, if you can. If you can pull it yeah. off, that's even better. Why even waste the silverware if you can just use your hands? Yeah. yeah. Uh, second millennial question. This is going back to the show. Uh, you've seen the apartments in Melrose Place now? Um, Amanda Woodward is the president of D&D Advertising in a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, Billy Campbell, who organized the Christmas potluck, is the vice president of, I don't know, models or whatever, Renting a one-bedroom apartment, does that strike you as realistic? None of this does. And actually, speaking of apartments and homes, so in the scene where you first see the baby that was stolen, oh my gosh. Stolen's um, a strong word. Well, I that, that's what it looked like to me. That baby was stolen. Um, <laughs> Michael is talk right? His name is Michael? Yeah. Mike, okay. Um, is talking about how expensive the Christmas tree is. You live 
on the beach. <laughs> You're, you have a wraparound porch with all windows. Why are you complaining about a Christmas tree? That made no sense to me. The outside, though, of Amanda's apartment or home, like when he's walking down the stairs after he drops off the coat, I thought that was a really realistic view of like what a CEO would be. Like mm. that round door, I really enjoyed the round door. But the interior made no sense. There was a lot of purple. <laughs> that threw me off. Like it was same with the offices. How do you run a company and your office looks like that? That doesn't match your personality. It well, really it, threw me It off. was a crime scene very recently. Yes, <laughs> that's where he hung himself. I learned that. And I instantly thought about how I couldn't see the ceiling. And I was wondering if the ceiling was actually high enough. But <laughs> I felt like that kind of got dark and that I didn't want to go down that route. <laughs> that office but, has a spiral staircase in the middle of the bullpen, which is a strange choice. Oh. Spiral wire staircase. Huh. Yeah. But no, her home, I, I, I don't, was that an apartment? I don't know. I just really enjoyed the door. I thought that was really cool. I would want that now so I can point to people about how I'm cool with the door. But the rest of it, what are you doing, my friends? Come on. Right. I didn't like it. Well, Kayla, we have lost Mary. So that seems oh like a, a, a perfect time to queue up a break. Okay. There comes a time in the life of every powerful American businesswoman when she needs to say two things. First, fuck you, Sam Alito. <laughs> and, and second, completely unrelated. All right. Powerful American businesswoman may need to say, <clears throat> I. <clears throat> She may need to say, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Now, of course, you can't just say, I'm sorry, if you are a professional American businesswoman. Mm -hmm. No, you need to go beyond that. And to do that, you're going to need to follow a rehab program for your own personal demons. Apologia, developed by Ms. Woodward. <laughs> is here to help you offer a genuine apology to people you have wronged. Oh, Imagine wow. if your obnoxious underling stole your boyfriend and ruined your life. Well, after following this 12-step rehab program for your own personal demons, you're going to march your ass over to Pity Me Pines and tell that underling that you'll have her back, no questions asked. <laughs> Or imagine your acid-washed vice president refused <laughs> to fire someone and stuck your company with a $12,000 bill for happy talk? Oh, wow. Well, Apologia by Ms. Woodward will have you praising his sneakiness while rubbing his chin delicately in no time. <laughs> oh, God. Now, not to get too specific, but imagine your boss hung himself in your office. Oh, my God. With me, a hand. <laughs> Go ahead, Mary. I was, I was trying to picture it. Okay. Imagine your boss hanged himself in your office with a handwritten note that had oddly feminine handwriting. <laughs> Stop judging, Bruce. Well, you can make it up to him by paying for his kids to go to college. <laughs> that seems fair enough, right? 
But wait, there's more. Ms. Woodward is Ms. Woodward is such a believer. You would think I know her name by now. You would think, <laughs> Ms. Woodward. Come on, she's not Squidward. <laughs> oh my God. But wait, there's more. Ms. Woodward is such a believer in this 12-step program of sorrow and regret that she's practically been on an apology tour. Oh. Mary, would you like to hear some of the other apologies she's made off camera? Oh my God, yes. Yes. Oh, well. For resorting to enhanced interrogation techniques, you know she's a Bush Republican. You know she is. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she loves the Cheneys. Mm-hmm. So enhanced interrogation was for her. For resorting to enhanced interrogation techniques when he was peepee- peeping where she peepees. <laughs> oh, God. She tracked down Ted Ramsey. Oh, Ted. Peeping and at, yeah, Peeping Ted. And as, a, as an I'm sorry gift, she gave him, Mary, you're not going to believe this. Huh. A 12-inch butcher knife. Oh, subtle. <laughs> yeah. Or what about that bitch? that seduced her father, stole Amanda's boyfriend, shot her father in the chest, and then blew Jake out in the ocean. Blew Jake up in the ocean. Gotta get the cadence right there. Oh yeah, that's important. Blew up Jake on the ocean. Well, Ms. Woodward, to make it up for Kathy Ireland, she's now business partners with Ms. Ireland, as Apologia by Ms. Woodward is a subdivision of the wildly successful Kmart brand of Gratitude by Kathy Ireland. Oh, oh, that makes that's a good good team up there. That you makes gotta sense. you gotta spread the wealth. Yeah, yeah. Now, what about that bitch Jane who was in the back of the line getting her nails done while God was handing out business sense? <laughs> oh, Jane. Yeah. Well, Amanda, Ms. Woodward has graciously been running a raiding the corporation plan where a consortium of doctors bought out the remaining shares of Mancini Designs. Oh, God, these doctors. Mary, Ms. Woodward's apologies, they know no bounds. <laughs> oh, wow. But there's more apologies. What about Chaz, her stepdaddy? Oh, God, I forgot all about Chaz. All he did was force himself on her to make out in the conference room, spread rumors that they slept together, and then sued her for $15 million of sex- for sexual harassment. All while doctor- making eyes at Allison, just like Michael Mancini did. Oh, God. Well, Ms. Woodward made it right. She apologized to Chaz. Mm. Mm -hmm. And of course, as her 12-step program for her personal demons, let her know, you can't just say, I'm sorry, you have to make amends. So she marched her happy ass right over to Models Incorporated and demanded that the vice president of Models, her own brother, hire up Chaz ASAP. (laughs) Goddamn Chaz. Yeah. Now, let's not forget Mommy. (laughs) How could we? I mean... (laughs) Well, nothing. Ms. Woodward has nothing to say to her. But finally, Daddy. (laughs) Oh, Daddy. He stole from her, lied to her, tricked her, used her, took money from her, told her that Jake was a sexist jerk who was no good and didn't respect women. So he wasn't always wrong. (laughs) He also bought a building with her and then stuck her with the mortgage while he blew himself up on Ms. Ireland's boat. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. How, how do you say thank you to a daddy? Do you, how do you find the words, Mary? I, I don't know. I just don't know. Well, this is how she does it. Apologia by Ms. Woodward. The personal 
rehab program, the rehab program for her own personal demons. This is how she says, thank you. She says, I'm sorry to daddy. Oh, okay. She thinks about him every time she's fucking Dr. Peter Burns. Every time, Mary, every time. What a wonderful way to remember. (laughs) Apologia by Ms. Woodward. A subdivision of gratitude by Kathy Iowan. Only available, somehow a rehab program, only available at three remaining Kmarts in the country. Oh. You know, it really shows that these ladies can let bygones be bygones and team up like this. I mean, especially given that Kathy Ireland blew up her dad or daddy. Like, it's really, it shows a lot of growth on both of their parts that they can work together like this. It does. And Mary, I have great news about capitalism in America. You know, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I, you've talked about that before, how much you love capitalism. Yeah, I just Googled how many Kmarts are left. <laughs> and in big text, Google just has the letter spelled out, four. <laughs> so it's more than three. Well, that's, I mean, that's good news for Kmart, right? Like, Yeah. Westwood, New Jersey, Long Island, New York, and Miami. Not the, the grouping I would have expected, but that's very nice. <laughs> Listen, they're hanging on, and you know what's keeping them afloat? Hmm. Gratitude by Kathy Ireland. That's great. That's really great. I'm glad that they're, it's really filling their coffers. And we are back for the second half of season three, episode 15 of the Melrose Place cast. We are discussing Holiday on Ice. I saw no ice. <laughs> None but, at all. It didn't even snow. No, but oh. I'm Teej. I'm Mary. And I'm Kayla. Yeah. And Mary, you're up next. I'm up. All right. I call this one Michael wonders if Kimberly's maybe going a little overboard. <laughs> uh so we see Matt confront Michael. Wait, should oh. we should we give Kayla the backstory about how this baby came to be <laughs> Michael Jr.? Sure, go ahead. Okay. So here's what happened, Kayla. The the short version. (laughs) Joe is from New York. She grew up in New York. Well established. Her entire life was in New York. She came to Melrose Place escaping from her abusive husband. She ends up with Jake. She goes to her high school reunion in January in San Francisco. (laughs) Where she meets Reed Carter the someone she had a crush on in high school and they get up into a relationship they end up out on the pretty lady the boat that later blew up Mm -hmm. um and he's doing one last drug deal because he was in jail for drugs before and she forgave him for that so he's doing one last drug deal she catches him so he locks her in the booby hole at the bottom of the boat booby hatch booby hatch oh my gosh i was like huh what's that (laughs) so she comes up she's a hostage they're out on the open sea she can't get away he, they do sleep together then, which Mary correctly pointed out was probably very forced and not consensual anymore she, since she was a hostage. Um, and then one thing leads to another, and she this is what Joe does. <clears throat> she vandalizes the boat, breaks the oh. window, stabs him with a harpoon, <laughs> throws him over into the water. When he comes up desperately trying to breathe, she shoots him with a harpoon gun or something. And then as he's laying on the ground of the boat bleeding out she comes in and whispers threats into his ear and then kills him and in pure white white lady privilege she's hiding tucked away in the boat with a gun when the the police show up 
and they just talk her calmly like oh dear lady come on out please please stop pointing that gun at us oh Turns my out, gosh yes 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 so i have to i have to watch all this just well we just ruined forget, it no forget grad school this is my main <laughs> priority this isn't okay. i gotta watch it all no of course her biggest support in los angeles jake uh understands how traumatic this was so he buys the boat at auction and turns it into a business <laughs> that she, as a photographer, has to come onto the boat where she murdered Reed Carter after vandalizing him uh, to, to do photo shoots on the ocean. Turns out uh, she ends up being pregnant and the father was Reed's, probably conceived while she was a hostage. And Reed's parents come back and sue for custody because they say Joe's a bad parent. Uh, and that's all fine and good. They win custody, and as soon as the baby's going to be born, Joe's going to have to give it up to the Carters. <gasps> Everything makes sense. Yes. So that's Dr. why the cliffhanger happened. Okay, I'm back. I'm ready. Dr. Kimberly is barren, which is the word they use, not <laughs> us. They use it. Uh, and she blames Michael because she's barren because of the car accident where Michael killed her. What? So she desperately wants a baby, and she hatches his plan, and she goes to Joe and says, Here's what we're going to do. When you get close to your due date, we're going to induce labor at my house. We're going to lie. We're going to say the baby died. We're going to say the baby was cremated. So no one will ever know the baby's alive. And then you're going to run off and go about your life and nobody will ever get your baby. Kimberly had to change the record. So someone who actually uh, had a stillbirth, um, she went in and changed the record. So it looked like Joe's baby was the one that was cremated which is what the talk was about hospital records and babies and things like that. So when, once the baby was born, Kimberly said to Joe, like, okay, you go to your apartment. I'll take care of the baby for a couple of days. And when Joe came back to collect your baby, Kimberly said, oh, you poor thing. You must have postpartum depression. Your baby died. You signed the death certificate. <gasps> and Dr. Michael Mancini, pillar of the community, uh, it, <laughs> One episode started with him saying, tell me again where this little monster came from. But he does a blood test last week, finds out that Joe is the mother and says, essentially, listen, you can't have this baby because I believe I, I'm not going to take it away from my wife. So, <laughs> and that catches us up. All right, go ahead, Mary. Thank you. Uh, okay. So Matt has uh, heard from Joe about the baby business. And so he confronts Michael and he's like, you need to give that baby back or... <laughs> Or else, <laughs> like, or what? Like, if you tell the cops, Joe's going to get in trouble. And that's like, Joe said she'll admit what she did. And Michael's like, is she willing to, like, let the baby get shipped off into foster care? If Kimberly and him go down, they all go down. And every other Sunday, baby can visit mommy in jail. Merry Christmas. Uh, we see Michael lugging in the giant Christmas tree that was mentioned earlier. And he complains about how much it costs. Kimberly says, we're a family now. We have to celebrate traditions. And she makes Michael hold the baby and hang up ornaments. And he's like, maybe you're going a little overboard. Like, you've taken, like, a million pictures. And you have handmade stockings. And we all have matching outfits. I don't want us getting too attached. <laughs> he reminds Kimberly, Joe knows about the blood test. And this is not going away. And Kimberly's like, I'm not going to risk... Joe won't risk her happiness over that of her child. Which is, you know, that's crazy. Uh... Anyway, Peter runs into Matt at the pool at the apartment complex. Matt's like, hey, can I have you talk to this friend of mine? Cuts it inside Joe's apartment. She's dishing up the whole story about the baby shenanigans. 
uh, at work, Michael gets called in Peter's office, which is never good. And Peter's like, I wanted to kill you, but fortunately that moment has passed. Michael's like, oh, what did I do now? <laughs> <He's> always- <laughs> uh, Peter's like, I met Joe this afternoon and I believe her and I don't want to know anything about the situation. I need you to give that baby back. You have put the entire hospital at great risk. There's lawsuits. There's all kinds of crazy shenanigans that's going to happen. Peter says, I know she's sane. You can't convince me otherwise. Nobody jeopardizes this hospital and he needs to give it back now. And Michael looks like, oh, shit. Uh, back at the beach house, Kimberly is furious. She's gotten called into work a double shift on Christmas Eve and she won't be home with her baby until tomorrow. Michael has the baby by the tree again. He's like, hey, this is what it's like when you're a doctor. We get called in sometimes. Michael's like, the baby's only a month old. He doesn't know Christmas Eve from any other night of feedings and diaper changes. They won't start without her. And so she kind of shoes off to work. And as she leaves, he whispers to the baby, it's better this way. At Joe's apartment, we see the doors being knocked on. She answers, it's Michael with the baby. He <laughs> over and grumbles, Merry Christmas, Joe. Now you've got what you wanted. Stay the hell out of our lives. Which is a load, considering that they stole her baby and that he's sure about this. Okay. Again, stolen is such a strong word. I mean, you might say she got free daycare out of the situation. Oh I mean, that's a little bit of a stretch. But... <laughs> okay. Uh, there's plinky piano she sits down on the couch with her baby and it's such a miracle. And then Jake comes over and she sees what she shows him what she got for Christmas. And she's like, Michael handed him over, but we can't tell anyone the baby's here. Like no one can know. Oh yeah, it'll go. No one will hear a baby crying in the apartment complex where there's no other babies. He really gets home. Michael's waiting. He knows the shit's about to go down. And she's like, Oh, where's the baby? She goes over to the bassinet and uh oh, there's no baby. She's like, My God, where's the baby? He says, Joe told Peter everything and he had to get the baby back because of the lawsuit that would have happened. Kimberly is legit horrified. You gave my baby away! Uh, she has an epic freak out. It an is unbelievable epic freak out. Oh my, Ooh. she's throwing strollers. She is angry. <laughs> she's trying to swim, I think. I don't know. That was, a man, she was mad. She, she lost her shit. Uh, so she's yelling at him that he probably got her schedule changed to get her out of the house. How could you do this to me? You took away the thing I love more than my life. She runs into the ocean and he has to chase her and drag her back out of the water. Um, cut to the end of the episode. Uh, we see Kimberly sitting on the bed and she's dialing a phone and Mrs. Carter answers at a kind of ugly house that's been decorated for Christmas. And Kimberly says, I'm about to give you a wonderful Christmas present. I can't tell you who I am or how I know what I'm about to tell you, but Joe Reynolds' baby did not die. Your grandson is alive and well living in her apartment at this very moment. I thought you had a right to know. Merry Christmas. The end. Uh, this Joe's baby, so it's home with her for now. I think like by next week it already gets kidnapped again, or is it the week after? Um, this baby is going to get a lot of miles on him real fast. He's already... <laughs> Um, this whole storyline continues to be bonkers. It's so bonkers. I was glad that Joe finally got to tell somebody else, like, because for like several weeks, she's had no one to talk to that her baby was stolen, which was a weird plot device. So I'm glad now and help because he is a social worker. So that makes sense. Um, it just reminds me there's, there's so much more to come for this baby. This baby's going to get passed around. Like you've never believed. Yeah. Kayla, where do you think? Was this artsy or trashy? Oh, I actually really liked this storyline only because I don't really know the backstory. So all of a sudden, my 
it within the first scene, I'm like, oh my gosh, a baby is stolen. What did I get myself into? <laughs> what is this? Um, so I thought that was wild. I actually loved this. I thought this was fine art. I thought the whole scene where she's throwing strollers, I thought that was not my favorite part of the acting that she did. But I actually love this storyline, and I think it's really crucial for any good soap opera, teenage drama, anything that like falls within this category of Melrose Place, you need a storyline that has a baby. And I think that they knocked it out of the park with it. <laughs> I thought there was um, two moments that I thought were particular, three moments that were particularly artsy. So I'll go in reverse chronological order because my funniest one is the first one. Um, <laughs> at the end when Kimberly thinks her baby is lost and she just is going to run out to sea. And I yeah. felt like that was realistic. Because let me tell you, I mean, I think you all know this, uh, if something, you know, if Logan were to depart us, uh, you just say what you want you need to say to me quickly. <laughs> right. Like I got that instinct of like, I'm out, I'm done. Uh, the other part that I thought was high art for the generations was when Michael said, uh, that Joe doesn't, isn't going to want this baby to be carted off to foster care. I thought that was a realistic threat in this situation. And I think it would have, it is playing a role in how Joe in real life would have been handling this. And then finally, um, Caleb, Michael is probably the most misogynistic character on the show. I don't know if that came through this week. It um, didn't. That yeah. was not who I had pegged as that. Oh, okay. Pause. Who would that be? Peter? Yeah. What? Yeah awful human being yeah. and i watched this show twice to make sure that i was fully aware of what we were all talking about and each time i'm like nope still an asshole oh sorry still a bad yeah. person oh no it's okay oh. you can say asshole oh okay oh. Sorry. <laughs> yeah uh no michael is i would say the most misogynistic peter came off really bad this week even worse last week yeah um, not my favorite but mm. he is a frat bro that is working as a doctor and also when, not my favorite <laughs> yeah when matt showed up and is like uh were you planning on returning any of my pages and the way michael is like you can put away your dick tracy decoder ring and i was like "Ooh, he's a bitch today i don't like that michael <laughs> oh michael yeah okay. i i see your point though about the the foster care point mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. thought the same thing. I'm like, that, that's exactly where that kid's going to go. If it's been, what was the phrase that you just used, Mary? So many mouths have touched it. That no one's going to know whose baby is whose. And they're going to be like, well, I have no idea where to put this besides oh, foster care. So, yeah, that's exactly where it's going to end up, according to this episode, I feel like. I can't believe we forgot the best part. The day after Kimberly pulled off the heist and kept to the baby, she got crazy eyes sitting out on that deck. The baby oh. was crying and said, oh, you must be hungry. Well, then, I guess we're going to have to feed you. And she <laughs> dropped her boob in the baby's mouth. What? Yeah, oh she gosh. breastfed the baby. This show's so weird. <laughs> so weird. And then she stared off into the distance. And as, it, Oh, yeah, as one does breastfeeding <laughs> so peacefully. <laughs> Especially breastfeeding that's not working. I don't imagine yeah. that baby's going to. They don't have teeth yet, though, do they? Not not with a month. Mm. Listen, that that child was six months old. I nobody's that is an enormous baby. Oh yeah, 
<laughs> that baby was not fooling anybody. That, that no. <laughs> All right. Well, I have another example of high art for the generations, Mary. I think you know where I'm going to go. I, I surprise me. I go gay every time. Every time there's a gay storyline, I think they do it so well. And this one, so uh, Jeffrey is Matt's boyfriend. Matt is the recurring character. Jeffrey is just visiting. Um, Jeffrey is HIV positive. In the beginning, the show did a really good job of not having the AIDS storyline automatically get attached to the gay character. Um, that that actually was Jake. His ex-girlfriend had HIV um, in season one. But now we're going very, very typical. Uh, Jeffrey and Matt have been seeing each other for about two months at this point. Matt apparently off camera is harassing Jeffrey to move in with him. Mary, why didn't they show us that? Because they don't show us anything. Yeah. <laughs> But oh, the quote I'm going for, the quote I'm building for is, what about your future? Uh, so what's happening? It's Christmas Day. Jeffrey is showering Matt with gifts. A waffle iron and a wok and a bread maker to boot? That's too Ooh. much. It's too much. Remember the 90s when like little kitchen gadgets were all the rage? Yes. Did you uh. guys both not get air fryers for Christmas? I still feel like I get kitchen gadgets. <laughs> I nobody I've never gotten an air fryer for Christmas honestly that that you should get one I'm yeah. pretty sure every single person my age and below has an air fryer it's honestly crucial to existence I think if that's it right. can't go into the air fryer I honestly don't want to cook it you know listen Kayla I think you're right people our age should really have air fryers I'll get you both one just <laughs> put it put it in the Amazon cart okay anyway and then Jeffrey Buys Matt tickets to the Bahamas, a, a cruise to the Bahamas, which was the quintessential 90s quote of like the most perfect place on earth was the Bahamas. I don't know if that's true. I don't know where it came from. Probably Bohemian Rhapsody because Americans are dumb, but whatever. Uh, Jeffrey apparently took time off work for Matt. I didn't know you could do that in the 90s. Just... I guess you can just call your workplace and be like, hey, my boyfriend needs time off. Yeah. Why um, not? Yeah. <laughs> And go ahead and commit to taking the time. I didn't understand. But Matt is essentially kind of grilling him and, and says, how could you blow your entire savings on one trip? What about your future? And Jeffrey kind of storms out or like reacts very strongly and says, what future? You see what my future is. This is how it's going to be. There's not much time. I have to live in the moment. I have to live in the now. And I know I've talked about this in past episodes, the way they're handling the AIDS scare for gay characters in the 90s. Uh, when it did, st when it still, I don't even think it felt like, I think it was still a death sentence. Um, I think is realistic. I think they're doing it well. And I think Jeffrey's reaction is to, to like spend it all now because I'm not going to be here for long um, is exactly how things would have gone. And then they broke up later when Matt thought they were going to make up. Also, I'm going to pin to that as high our <laughs> generations too. Uh, Jeffrey comes by the next day after the blow up. And Matt's body language is cold and bitter and angry. His arms are crossed. And Jeffrey kind of says, Matt, we need to talk. And Matt thinks he's getting an apology from Jeffrey. And he immediately softened and even turned to him, if you remember that. Because uh, he thought like, oh, good. Okay, so I, I turned out to be right or I win or whatever. Um, only to be let down to hear that uh, Jeffrey's breaking up with him. Because they need to retool the show for the second half of the season. <laughs> Dismissed. <laughs> Um, I mean, I've never liked these two together from the start for a whole lot of reasons. I don't think they're a good match for a lot of reasons. So I'm not sad to see him go. Um, I think the 
the storyline is effective in so much as it's showing, like you said, someone who maybe feels that their days are numbered is going to maybe live a little more vicariously and a little more uh, off budget than you might otherwise. But I'm, I'm fine with Jeffrey heading out now. That's fine. Well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I actually loved that whole storyline. I thought it was really authentic in even today's conversations. Um, I I know individuals who are in situations like this and they feel like they can't relate because they're not in hospice or they're not on that last breath or they're mm-hmm. not on medication yet. And that they're just like, oh, no, it's fine. Everything's great. But then you see them do things where you're like, huh, did you really want to do that? Like spend all your money. Mm -hmm. So this felt so real. And it felt like if you had just changed maybe the clothing and just kind of where they were in terms of the scene, this could be in any modern day high drama TV show that is currently on air. I thoroughly enjoyed the smaller bits and pieces of that storyline. I do think that I had to Google if they were in a relationship at the start because it's the 90s. So I didn't really play into all the stuff that is a gay couple. However, Mm -hmm. I really, I really liked how they told it from a quick perspective from a character that obviously wasn't staying on very long. I, I thought it was great and I thought it was really well done. I would count it as fine art. Part of why it reflected so real to me is I'm, I'm just realizing how close the time was. It was probably only eight or nine years after this aired, but a friend of mine committed suicide and we later learned he had gotten a, he was 19, 20, um, and he had gotten a diagnosis of HIV positive and um, that was how he, how he dealt with it, what he did. Um, so Jeffrey, again, Jeffrey's reaction of being very fatalistic and just, um, you know, caution to the wind, it's... Uh, I think I think they hit it with what people would have been doing back then, and given the the, the restrictions Fox had on them about showing same sex anything, uh, Kayla, they do get some nice uh, hugs with taps on the shoulder. Oh wow! As, Slow down. <laughs> and when Jeffrey came back into the show, <clears throat> Mary, I have to tell her about the jogging outfit. Oh, you may as well. <sighs> so. Jeffrey and Matt had a flirtation back second in the second season and then Jeffrey disappeared. He got, you know, deployed somewhere else, whatever he comes back. He's playing basketball all by himself and Matt is running and he hasn't seen Jeffrey in months. We later, it was established Jeffrey stopped returning Matt's letters because that's how you communicated back then. And Matt was wearing, is that how you did it? That's how you did it. Matt (laughs) was wearing straight up polo collar and buttons and everything. And like a light color, like a like a like a creamsicle color polo covered in sweat, tucked in to jogging pants, like a sweatpants. And Kayla, let me tell you this. They were not even gray sweatpants. What? How could they make this guy any unsexier? And that's the mo- that's gray the pants, moment. Gray sweatpants are the way to go. What a what a missed opportunity. Go. Missed opportunity. Listen, I said this. I ranted on it during the episode. Um, maybe a little more than I should have. Maybe I should <laughs> let it go. But I, I really, I wanted that gray sweatpants moment for Matt. Oh, for his benefit, not mine, of course. Natural. Yeah. Same. 
Yeah. But gray pants for gray sweatpants for everybody else but me. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> and a polo shirt to go jogging. Yeah, that was a choice that was made for sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we're up for our, our final trashy points. Oh well, I would I would love to see the floor to our special guest. It was a surprise. The final trashy point. Oh. <laughs> If you found anything, Kayla. I, I, I've been actually really excited to talk about a fine art moment. So I'm actually, I'm going to defer to bring in some joy at the end of this episode. Because I got a good one. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Oh, I can talk. Okay. I wasn't yeah. sure if I was supposed to. Okay. I actually really liked the storyline of um, Allison and Rehab. Granted, I don't know anything prior, but I I really liked that there were all these moments where, I mean, Amanda comes in, she was a bitch. Her rehab boyfriend, Terry, is like, what was the line? Where she goes, how much did you hear? And he goes, enough. Classic line. Instantly a fine art scene. Classic line. Because even no matter what, that is a good, a good one. But I really liked how um, her and her ex-husband, are they divorced yet? Or are they? They Bruce? were never married. Or yes. not Bruce, sorry. Billy. Billy. Billy, that's it. Yeah. Fiance. Um, I liked fiance. that he came in and they had such a realistic, soft moment on the bench. I really, I thought it was so nice. I thought it was a good way for them both to recover and also have a moment of empathy for each other because obviously rehab is difficult for anybody. But then um, they had me at the end because Terry, the rehab boyfriend, comes in and tries to, well, actually does kiss her. And it's like, we've been telling each other everything for the past four weeks. We're in love. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, well, what else are you supposed to do? All you have to do is talk in therapy. You're in groups a second ago. <laughs> of course you're going to share things that you have to share. But I don't know. I, I actually really liked it. I thought it was a great moment. Just because when you, sometimes when you think of rehab, especially in the 90s, you don't envision like a middle-aged white blonde woman. So I thought it was interesting to like have that be the character's line as someone that hasn't seen anything. So I don't know. I liked it. You go from people just showing up, which I think is a little unrealistic in a therapy home, but maybe that was the case back in the day. I, I don't know. I was a huge fan of that storyline. And now I just need to see what happens to her going forward. And I don't want to know what happens with Terry because he seemed kind of weird to me, but also, I don't know. I'm just, I'm all in now. Terry's a little beefy for my tastes. <laughs> yeah, he came in hot being like, oh, there's a mistletoe above us. You you took her by the arm and put her on the stairs. <laughs> like, you did that. You put her under the mistletoe. I don't think that she was thinking that. I don't think that you're a mind reader there, friend. But overall, I thought that that storyline was cool because that moment of empathy between the two of them, I just really enjoyed and felt like could be in a show that is now. So that's why I enjoyed it. What did you think of that, Mary? Um, you know, I'm just, I'm glad Allison's having a nice time at rehab. <laughs> <laughs> at Pity Me Pines. At Pity Me Pines. Um, 
I mean, I guess it seems realistic enough given how Allison has met all of her other boyfriends that she would meet a boyfriend rehab. Um, you know, it it seems on track with your previous decision making. Um, Here's what seemed on track to me is now that she's rekindling with Billy. Yeah, she'll she'll make out with Terry. <laughs> so Allison and Billy were engaged for about a year and a half after being platonic roommates for six months. Um, okay. And during that time, Allison had three separate boyfriends, one of whom bought her a brand new Jeep and delivered it to Mauro's place. Oh, my gosh. They weren't subtle. Another one beat Billy with a crowbar um, and then called Allison and shot himself on the phone. Yeah, it was dark. It who, was was the th- who was the third boyfriend? Um, let's see. There's Billionaire Steve. Oh, the, oh, doctor. Oh, the doctor. Well, he didn't really. I mean, they never really sealed the deal, but yeah. He was ethically compromised. Oh my gosh. Well then I don't know how I feel anymore. That moment of empathy was a little too calm for all the stuff that that man had to go through. My goodness. Well, so Allison said there was a moment, Kayla, I think this is what you're referring to when Allison said, um, this was a really nice moment. She said, sobriety is weird. Everything is suddenly so clear. And she was staring deeply in Billy's eyes. Yes. I have that written down. I thought that was a really honest quote. Yeah. You know, what was not said during that was uh hey are you still dating my best friend from college is she still living with you because as far as allison knows they're together <laughs> oh yeah that's right yeah that was the just... sh- show was wild yeah also a moment i think we've all had to to say some version of at some point allison had to say to billy unfortunately your christmas gift is still at the mall <laughs> oh yeah the amount of times i said oh yeah no it's coming it's not <laughs> And then finally, when Terry said to Allison, being healthy doesn't mean you're normal. I thought that was a really good realization that people in rehab have to, uh, at some point, come to terms with. Yeah, I, I think that I thought those two lines were just so powerful. I liked them. Yeah. All right. Well, Mary, are there any other highlights you wanted to hit in the show? I think we got most of it. I liked uh, we got to see the festive holiday B-roll of uh, holiday trim in the greater Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Liked, just stunning. Uh, I liked that we got to see that old B-roll of when they digitally added the Christmas lights to the balconies all over the apartment building. They got to use that several times, so they got their money's worth this week. Uh, my other scene that greatly infuriated and entertained me was the one where Amanda showed up at Peter's office. I think it was early in the episode. And she's very mad because he threatened her last week and accused her of sleeping her way into her job. And that is not true. And he says, well, I've been trying to call you to apologize, but you haven't returned my calls. Like, it's her fault. She says, I'm filing a complaint with my attorney. And he <laughs> says, for what? I gave you exactly what you wanted. She says, you didn't give me anything. I don't owe you anything. And she's right. And if he ever has, harasses her again, She's going to slap him with a lawsuit that'll make his head spin. And this son of a bitch smiles and goes, you are the, without a doubt, the sexiest woman I've ever met. Instantly oh, wanted to vomit. Okay. No. So, <laughs> and then he's done and he says, I love a woman who fights for what she wants. When you play, you play hard. And I find that extremely arousing. Title nine. This is not okay. This is not okay. He pulls her clothes and forces a kiss on her. She shoves him away and says, if he does this crap again, she'll see him in court. And she's right to say that. Okay. So but I then would... he shows up at her house with gifts and then creepily brushes her hair back and kisses her <laughs> cheek. I was like, I'm so in a, like, I just feel weird watching this. No. Ugh. Not, Ugh. not okay. 
So just for my own reference, if I can ask, I'm, I'm here on the line with two feminist women. If I'm ever accused by a woman of sexual harassment, is the wrong answer to say, but you're so sexy, right? <laughs> <laughs> is that not the right way? I mean, I know it goes against your instincts, but yeah, <laughs> avoid that one. Oh. It might be hard, but I have faith in you. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, Kayla, we are at the end. This is all of our expert special guests. Every five episodes get to weigh in with the vote. If you have to vote you one way or the other, if, is this show high art for the generations or just a trashy soap opera? And that's fine. What would you say? I think this is fine art for the generations. Bam. We will count the vote then. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works. Without a doubt. <laughs> All right. Well, Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. This was fun. I hope you become a fan of Melrose Place. Yes. I hope that you guys have me on again. I think there's a whole bunch of seasons. And now I'm I'm in to watch it. So <laughs> There are seven seasons of the original run. One oh, yeah. season of the reboot. Uh, and yet to be said whether there'll be additional reboots. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, now I'm intrigued. I'm invested. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this malarkey. <laughs> no, thank you again so much for having me. And I will talk with you both soon. Yes, thank you. <laughs> this week's episode of the Melrose Placecast is generously underwritten by the following sponsor. No matter what the Supreme Court tries to tell you, sexual harassment is still a real thing. You can't, like, have that just going on willy-nilly in your workplace or your school or your gentleman's club. (laughs) Sure, back in the old days, those little ladies knew how to take a joke. But nowadays, you say one little thing they think is off color, and they'll slap you with a lawsuit that'll make your head spin. How can you and your organization avoid such a financially costly mistake? Well, by hiring Dr. Peter Burns, sexual harassment expert. That's she for short. Dr. Peter Burns is apparently a trained surgeon, (laughs) question mark, or a physician, or possibly a corporate shark. It's unclear, quite honestly. But one thing's for sure, he is most definitely an expert in the field of sexual harassment. He can give you and your employees all kinds of useful insights into how to calm those ladies down. Am I right? Oh, calm them down. Oh, settle down, ladies. For instance, let's say you've been trying to get a little something something started with one of your employees, but she's just not having it. Have you tried inviting her over to your bachelor pad after hours, ostensibly for a game of space age robotic chess and to discuss her, quote, great new ideas for the expansion campaign? And then maybe just seeing where the night goes. Wink, wink. Yeah, maybe give that a try. How about you have managed to land yourself a frisky little filly? And maybe she's proven to be a little friskier than you bargained for and not in the way you'd like. She's not returning your calls. What gives? You're trying to call and apologize for the last time you offended her. And now she won't even show you the decent courtesy of listening to you apologize for being a jerk. Well, Dr. Peter Burns would most definitely recommend summoning her to your office, letting her spot off like the hot little tea kettle she's, she is about whatever it is she's mad about this time. And then when she's all done saying something really astute, like you are without a doubt the sexiest woman I've ever met. Crisis averted. If she gets mad, follow up with one of Dr. Burns' patented smoothovers. Like, hey, when you play, you play hard. And I find that extremely arousing. This is going to work like a charm. Let's say 
you've really stepped in it in the proverbial doo-doo. You know what I mean? There's robotic chess and uninvited compliments about her sexiness are not going to fix this. It's time to show up at her apartment uninvited to invite slash demand that she get packed for the romantic weekend getaway you just booked for the two of you. You leave in an hour. Is she pouty or moving a little slowly about getting that suitcase out of her closet? Sweeten the deal by bringing her a big-ass fur coat. <laughs> what woman can resist a big-ass fur coat? Except maybe those pita broads, you know what I mean? And if you've made it this far into courting her without actually already having the cops called on you, chances are this apple of your eye is not one of those. Did you say pita broads? Pita broads, yeah. Okay, all right. If you're interested in booking Dr. Peter Burns to reap the rewards of his priceless insights into sexual harassment, as again, a sexual harassment expert, or for short, she, you can find him at Wilshire Memorial Hospital sometimes when he's not doing corporate takeovers or shaking down his interns to give back the babies they've stolen. He's kind of got a full plate, and yet he makes plenty of room for those ladies and that harassment. Am I right? (laughs) Did I lose you? No, I'm here. It just stopped. It just stopped. It just stopped. Sometimes that happens. Oh, Mary, I needed a sexual harassment expert. I bet you did. So I have been having trouble. If I can confide in you. Yeah, this is private. Just between us girls. Okay. Um, how do you not get caught? Can you help? Can you help me get away with it? Oh, sure, 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 sure. Well, the first thing you're going to want to do, see, if you if you follow these initial steps that he's going to show you with these pe- these folks when you've offended someone, uh-huh. do things like, you know, tell them how you're they're arousing you, or uh, play <laughs> chess with them at your bachelor pad. What if I bring them gray sweatpants? You could incorporate. That's a great idea. You should ask him about incorporating some gray sweatpants into this routine. Uh, those steps alone might be enough to get. Uh, the subject of your potential lawsuit to just sort of drop it and go along for the ride, so to speak. Um, like, if- just chill out. You need to calm down. I could play Taylor Swift for them. You need to calm down. Yeah, you do. You know what? Taylor Swift is so right about so many things. And she's really right that people just, especially women, you just need to calm down. Just chill out. Oh, always all getting all feministy at me. Just settle down and put on the fur coat and get ready to go to the airport. We I gotta- bought you this fur coat. Now put on the gray sweatpants, Matt. <laughs> I think Matt would like it if you got him a fur coat. I now- think he'd like it if I got him a gray sweatpants. <laughs> what he really wanted was a walk, though, and he already got that. <laughs> well, this is exciting. I, I did not know that, that she existed. Um, reminds me, I just have to say, uh, a little bit uh, appropriating the word she, perhaps. Um, you know what? Now you sound like the ladies that he's trying to get calmed down. <laughs> All those ladies. Oh, you know, about something. what a world we live in. You, you just, you tell one person that reports to you and is responsible and you are responsible for their personal and professional livelihood. You tell one person about pubic hair on their Coke and then suddenly it's with you for 35 years when you later go and take away their rights to an abortion. <laughs> it's all people think about. Who put pubic hair on my Coke? Right. Just let it go already. It's some pubic hair. It's fine. It's just fine. Why does that bother you so much? If it, look, if it wasn't you, just say it wasn't you. 
Oh my god, what a world. What a world. I hate him so much. He's bad. He's a bad man. I have to admit he was in the hospital last spring and uh I'll stop. <laughs> was it Wilshire Memorial? It- oh, if only. If only Dr. Peter Burns was there to do the surgery. <laughs> oh god. Oh god. So wait, seriously, how how long does this show go on? How many episodes are there? <laughs> Man, I told you this, right? So there, it goes to season seven of the original run, but then there's the re- the reboot season. So there's how many reboot seasons? Just the one so far. So far. Okay. But there's also, but then Mary, there's the the Amazon has the true story of Melrose Place movie that we should cover. Oh God, how long? Yeah, and and. Uh, Models Inc. has to be covered too. Wait, what the hell is Models Inc.? It's a two-season spinoff. Of what? What do they? Of of Melrose Place from the lady from Dynasty was on it, I think. The lady from Dynasty, my God, this was like a whole industry. And I do think nine hundred two one zero to get to understand where this show came from is probably worth exploring. I I don't know if I agree with that. (laughs) And then when Allison left, she went to Allie McBeal. Does it have anything to do with the contents of Melrose Place? I just feel like, how do you really want to be an expert in this or not? I mean, I think you know the answer to that. Okay, so we're in for all of it. Oh, God. 